0: The Aftermath of Crime and How It Impacts Your Life. If you appreciate diversity of topic and want to come along for the ride, or if you're looking for cutting-edge programs, information, resources, inspiring people that assist you in finding your voice, you have come to the right place. This is Donna Art Gore, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com. Thank you for listening today and for sharing this podcast. So welcome, welcome, everyone, to um, Shattered Live's radio, uh, live from Columbia, South Carolina. I am here, and um, my, my able co-host is there in uh, Myrtle Beach. Uh, I don't know for how, how much longer with the, with the storm, but she is there helping us out. So I really do appreciate that. Uh, we have a very special guest um and uh she is from the Richland County Sheriff's, Sheriff's office uh D- D- Cronice, Cr- uh who is a special investigator and uh she has a very wide and diverse diverse career um starting out from 1974 in the sheriff's office. She's, she's, worked, in, um, she's worked in social services. She's worked with children. Um, she has specialized with uh, families in crisis and missing persons um, and has been awarded many accolades, let's put it that way, um, as well as working with the GLBT community. And um, so Donnie, Um, we want to, we want to, um, welcome you today to Shattered Life's Radio. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you for having us, Donna. We appreciate it.
0: Well, it's, it's always good to have people from, um, other areas. And I know, um, your, your colleague, Kevin Eisenhower and I did a show and, uh, that went very well. And, um, so, oh, just, just for introductory purposes, uh, Delilah, um, this, this particular unit and, the, and this um, show is going to showcase two long-term missing persons and uh, unsolved homicide is my understanding, right? And as the, a state coordinator for the Q Center for Missing Persons in Wilmington, such as, such as I am from Connecticut, this is a really important area, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. And, you know, of course, we're always willing to work alongside any law enforcement agency that invites us into a case, and um, I'm, I'm not positive whether these two missing persons cases are already registered with Q Center or not, but um, we we do whatever we can to bring attention to any missing person anywhere, so I'm happy that right. we're able to cover these cases.
0: As, absolutely, and maybe we can work on that in the future if they're interested. So, um, Danny, uh, before we get into the, the need of the individual cases, um, I wondered if you could kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of um, how your career evolved up to this point in the cold case unit and what what you are, are, are doing um, <laughs> presently um, so that people will understand the context and, you know, why this is uh, maybe all of your earlier career kind of paved the way for what you're doing now. Is that true?
1: Yes, it is. Um, I started here at Richland County Sheriff's Department in August of 1974 as a juvenile officer. So that started the interest in children and families and missing persons and missing children. So that was one of the key areas that uh, sheriff. Powell at that point in time uh, placed me to work. From there, I went to the uh, Midlands Area Head Start Program as Director of Social mm-hmm. Services for them. And again, working with children and families, children um, in need, families in need, uh, not so much crisis situations, but definitely you know getting schooling started and things like that. Then from there went to the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, Uh, was an agent with them for many years, Uh, made lieutenant over uh, the Missing Persons Unit. I was the director of the Missing Persons Unit for the State Law Enforcement Division for some years, along with their Intelligence Unit and Case Files Unit. So it's all been one step at a time, uh, all one thing leading to another, one area building on the ones before. So now I, came, I retired. Yeah, I retired from state law enforcement division in uh, 2001, and in 2003 came back to the sheriff's office to again work with missing persons, missing children, and added on families in crisis and diverse populations. Uh, I quasi retired in 2015 from doing all of that and I uh, came to work in the cold case unit. And when I moved to cold case, I was able to bring all of the old missing person cases that had not been resolved to the unit as well. Oh. well, that kind that's, of well, bring like us up to where I am now. With Go ahead, dear. I couldn't hear you.
0: Yeah. Uh, it sounds like that definitely is your path. and, um, you know, you've evolved in, and with such a myriad of background in this, i I'm sure that you bring very much to the table at least it sounds like 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 it does um can you tell us in in general and I'm not asking for specific numbers, but what's the current status in in Richland county in terms of um the, perhaps a a general number of of missing missing person cases? We know that for instance, there's nine thousand uh people approximately that go missing each year. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What what is it like in in this region where where, where we are now in terms of sheer numbers or however you'd like to uh, portray it?
1: Well, in the terms of missing children, uh, and then, too, you've got to look at the ages and separations. Our state is set up to where a missing child is anyone age 16 and under. A missing adult is age 17 and over. Uh, and I have not pulled that data uh, but I can give you just the general, uh, general knowledge about that which would be roughly 250 missing children cases a year and probably a hundred missing persons. Now you have to realize that that is Richland County specific. Richland County encompasses the City of Columbia Forest Acres Police Department and Irmo Police Department in, in part of that, so that's not counting the numbers from those agencies. That is just the county numbers itself. So we have uh, we have quite a few, but very very few year to year go unresolved, which we're we're quite pleased with.
0: Uh, so when you say they go unresolved. Um you you may have solved in terms of finding the perpetrator or uh, the case has been brought to resolution, whether you might have found the person deceased or or reunited with family or or
1: what have you? We would have found the person. Uh, If it was a child, they would have been returned to the family. If it's an adult, we are bound by certain privacy rules that, you know, if you're adult, an adult and I locate you and you do not want your family to know where you are, I am restricted from giving that information out, but I can let them know that, you know, that the person is has been located and they're well. And I usually always ask the adults in those situations to please call their family and at least let them hear their voice and let them know that they're all right. They don't have to tell them where they are, they can block the number, any number of things that they can do to keep from having too much interaction because that tends to be part of the problem is that they want to get away from the family for whatever reason and just don't want to have that contact. But it, you know, it would really help matters if they could at least just pick up the phone and call the family and let them know that they're all right. So that's that's the restriction there. But uh, as I said, very, very few uh, are left unresolved where we haven't located the person or reunited the child with the family because we cannot close out a missing person case or a missing child case until they are located. They cannot be closed out.
2: Question, Dottie. In a case mm-hmm. like you just described, with the adults not wanting the families to know where they are, now if they don't, if they won't or refuse to make that call, does um does the sheriff's office at least make a call to the family that that person has been located and and doesn't want to contact them?
1: Yes, ma'am, I definitely do. And I let the, okay. the person know that I will, I will be notifying whoever it was that made the incident report uh, and then make sure that they know that they're all right but they do not wish to be contacted nor do they wish for me to give out their contact information.
2: That's good to know because I know that this happens a lot more often than we want to think about that, you know, and, and this I guess is one of the comebacks that people have a hard time understanding is the fact that if an adult does not want to be found, they, it's, it's not a crime. It's not, no, not anything at all. you can really do anything about. This person just does not want to be with their family any longer for whatever reasons. Um, So you know, I, th- I think a lot of the general public misunderstands how that operates.
1: And and they may not. And if we could indulge, indulge me here just a little bit, we still have a terrible public misconception that you have to wait 24 hours before you can report someone missing. Uh, that That is not accurate. A department may have a policy like that, but with our department, as soon as you realize that your loved one or even your neighbor uh, is not where they're supposed to be, you know you haven't seen your neighbor, they usually come out and check the mail, uh, your child was supposed to get home from school, and, and a half hour later they're not home from school. If things are not the way that you know they should be, we encourage people to call in and make an incident report and let us follow up on it. I'd much rather have them call in, make the report, and, you know, the person walk in the door an hour later than not to have the report and we're, you know, days behind and in, in running down leads and trying to locate where these people may have been, who may have seen them, uh, any information that might lead us to a, a positive resolution. I'm so yeah, happy like that you it's brought it's that a,
2: up because that yeah. that is another another bone of contention in in working with missing persons cases and a lot of jurisdictions still do hold that policy and a lot of people out there run into it and it's a very big frustration.
1: And just, just to realize that it, that it is a policy, uh, there's nothing, you know, in, in statute, at least for us, there's nothing in statute and there's nothing in policy here that, that prevents someone from making a report. In fact, our department, um, say, you're expecting your aunt to make it to your home in Connecticut. And your aunt doesn't make it from Columbia to Connecticut. And you call down here. We will take that missing persons report from you, even though you're in Connecticut. Uh, She left from Mm -hmm. here. You don't know where she is. You're concerned. We will take that report. You do not have to be a relative to report. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, you could be, a neighbor, a friend, uh, you know, say, you know, your buddy was coming up with her two kids to visit for the weekend and she's, you know, two hours overdue and you're concerned and you can't get in touch with her. We'll take that report. Right. Well, in that case, Dottie, do you kind of double
0: up efforts in terms of to use your example, would you call the uh, your your um, jurisdiction as well as the state police in Connecticut and say, you know, I don't know where she is between this point and this point, and then you work
1: together? We can, yes, we can. We can work together. But now when it comes to the particulars when you file a missing persons report, the report mm-hmm. is taken, information is filled out, and the missing person is entered into the National mm-hmm. NCIC database. So that right. <clears throat> say you've got a car associated with it, and say her car is stopped, when they run that tag number if if all of that information has been entered and they run her name it it should come back to the officer running the name that they have been reported as a missing person. And that way uh, we'll get in touch with whomever had made the report and the agency that is responsible holding the report. So we would we would work together between here and Connecticut but only one in only one of us needs to make that NCIC entry, which if we're taking the original incident report, we would make that entry and just make Connecticut aware of it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's that's good to know that you're sharing information like that and you, and you do, you know, what's needed, because time is always of the essence. Um, with regard to um, the, the fact that you've been very, you know, effective in, in trying to resolve cases, Is there a particular methodology of working cases in your unit, or is it just you and and your colleagues kind of um, using your separate talents and being creative to to be able to work together? Or, you know, is there something that you can identify to say, you know, we used to do it this way and we didn't have as much luck, but now we do it this way and we've gotten a lot more effective?
1: Well, we've got five of us that work in the cold case unit. And some of us are new to the unit. A uh, couple have been there for quite some time and have been involved in some of the older cases that, that the newer ones of us are, are getting caught up on. Uh, we yeah. work together. We compare notes. We uh, share information. We look at, uh, say, if, if we're looking at a case, we'll review the case together go through the case, mm-hmm. see what things are missing, what things we need, where the evidence is, uh, what evidence may need to be reprocessed. you know as you were talking with things that have changed over the years, our techniques and technology has certainly changed in our ability to um, glean things from evidence that we couldn't get years ago. so we mm-hmm. we always are working together in that respect to make sure that that we have the things that we need and that then goes beyond just our cold case unit to our road units uh, our crime scene units our laboratory units our dna unit uh, we've got a lot of specialty areas and we try to use them as effectively as we can in working our particular our cold case homicides yeah but we definitely share yeah. the information and no no well, case is, is specifically for someone we all we all tend to take ownership of it well that's good
0: because you know we always hear and and it still is true in some jurisdictions across the land that some departments tend to be territorial and don't want to share and all of that and I think uh, we've got to the point in society where we need to break down those barriers, and we all need to work together because
1: we can accomplish so much more that way, right? Indeed, we can, and and we, from time to time, uh, the city of Columbia also has a cold case unit, and we share information between their members and us. So that's that's always yeah. an open door.
0: mm mm-hmm. Well, that's great. You know, you know, before we get into the um, three cases or it itself, I have a, you know. Something that is always in the back of my mind and is ever-present, especially with working with the Q Center, is that, well, two complaints. As a homicide survivor, uh, invariably the media always portrays the, the, the perpetrator and all the sensationalism associated with that, and the victim and their families always get left behind, and they get virtually very little exposure, and particularly if they are of minority status. If they're not, you know, Caucasian, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, beautiful people with pristine lives, then forget about it a lot of times. And um, so what, what would be your comment in terms of how you work? Um, because some of the pieces that we're going to get into kind of fit that pattern a little bit in terms of minority status what is your relationship then um, your department and your unit with working with the media and trying to educate them that this person over here is just as important as this, this person over there, you know?
1: You can't, you can't put a restriction on how you respond to someone having lost a loved one. Love is love it is uh Yep. Lynn manuel Miranda said not too long ago. And it's, it's a matter that it doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are, what gender you are, what anything. Your loved ones love you, and they want as much to have your case resolved as anybody else. I mean, it, 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 to me, it just doesn't matter. You've got to treat right. everyone with respect and dignity. And when you look into these folks' faces and you can see the tears, and you know that the loved one is so missed, and they don't understand what's happened and they don't know why, and you try to answer as many of those questions as you can, it, it transcends all the barriers. You can't you can't have a barrier when when. When you care about people, then you can't put up a barrier. It just doesn't work, right? And so that, as an that investigator, your I know you know
0: that, right? But pardon, what about in working with the with the media? There, do they, do, do your local media that you work with, do they do they understand that concept and try to respect that they give coverage to the victims um, and their families as well as the perpetrators?
1: I have not seen where our media has discriminated in that. Uh, They are very ready to print whatever we have given to them. Our public information officer works very closely with our local media to ensure that um, the information that they get is as accurate as possible and that it gets put out Mm -hmm. in a timely manner. Sheriff Watt holds press conferences when the need arises so that the media is here in person and can yeah. uh, ask questions, and he can answer them, and the investigators are available to answer questions as well. Our, our public information office ensures that all of that runs smoothly and that there is no, or at least as minimal disparity as possible, uh, that we can make sure that the information that is re- reported is accurate and fair. Well And, that's, and, that's and very I know what you're saying about... Yeah, I know what you're saying about a lot of times you hear the perpetrator's name more than you hear the victim. And, right. you know, you can think of, you know, people like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer, and you know their names, but do you really remember the victim's names? And that's mm-hmm. sometimes very hard to 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 keep at the forefront because the victim has passed away, and they're the ones that are in the news with the trial going on and everything else. So. What I have done on this end is our records keeping is not by case number. It's not by suspect. It is by victim name so that the victim's name is the one that's important. That's who we look for when we look for a case file. We look for the victim's name. I like that. <laughs>
0: that's good. That's respect. Wonderful. Um. So, I, you know, it sounds like you've really made some important inroads in terms of how people across the board treat, treat a case with respect and that everyone shares information and, and, and um, everything is of equal importance, so to speak, and uh, coordinated effort. Um, let's talk well, about – uh, go ahead.
1: To expand on it, we have, um, and I don't know if you've kept up with over the years, our Victims Bill of Rights. To ensure yes, I, that our victims get the services that they're not just entitled to, but the services that they need. And I'm that, very familiar you know, with
0: that in Connecticut, yeah, and across the country. Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, so that, so, that helps to keep everybody on the right path. Because every everybody yeah. across the board, from the sheriff's department, police department, solicitor's office, the jails, they all have tend to have a victim advocate in place here so it keeps it keeps the families informed. Right. That if it somebody's going to be released, here. they know it. And you know, they know what's happening with their case. They're briefed on how to handle being in the courtroom and what to expect. So um and they act as a really good our victim advocates here have uh, a really good relationship with our victims and are really good liaisons between the victim and the investigator in making sure that information is transferred as as quickly and uh, smoothly as possible.
0: Well, that's very encouraging to hear. In, In my experience in my state, there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of different entities, and there's communication ba- ba- uh, breakdowns and, and a plethora of things. But but our rights are there, and I'm glad that they t- definitely are being um, enforced. And I know that you have a lot to do with um, uh, being the head of uh, Victim Advocate Association there from what I read, which is great. Um, yeah. With regard and, and- to uh, – oh, go ahead.
1: And, two, Sheriff Lott has a wonderful saying that we repeat many times. If you do the right thing for the right reason, you'll be okay. And working with families right and thing victims, thing you, right, you do right you the right thing for the right reason. reason. Yeah. As we all know, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and it still kind of looks good. But he's, he's a strong proponent of doing the right thing for the right reason. Well, I think that's a pretty
0: profound statement. If we could all remember that. And that's you know that's kind of an operational uh watchword for for us all going forward, so that that's that's good very, very good um should we talk about our our cases perhaps at this absolutely, point? Uh, absolutely. Shalanda,
1: which one would you like to delve into
0: why don't we why don't we talk a bit about shalanda um hearts and just to give you a little time check, we have about thirty ah, four minutes for okay uh, whatever. Okay, all right. So, you know, there, go, go, go to it. My information is just from the poster and in uh, internet research. She was um, mm-hmm. thirty-seven years old, missing in April of two thousand and twelve. Left right. in her apartment after an argument. Now, I'm, I'm guessing, was this an intimate partner violence incident, perhaps? With no, no, was, no, no. Um,
1: what had okay. happened, Shalonda has four children, and Shalonda would keep usually the two younger children with her most of the time. Uh, she had a boyfriend, and we have talked with him. He is He's extremely emotional about this. But the boyfriend and she were staying at a local motel here with, with two of the children, and he ran out of money and told her she needed to go back. And stay with her mom, and take the children and go back to the mom, which was pretty good advice. When you run out of money, you, you know, take take where, take the children where they're going to be safe and taken care of. Well, she went back to her mom's, and that was where the argument ensued because she wanted her mom to allow the boyfriend to come live there with them, and mom wow. was not going to agree to do that. And she. Got angry and she left the house. Uh, and that was <clears throat> that was the last time that Shalonda's mother Elizabeth had heard from her. And that would have been around April the eighth, I believe. But you know, we didn't get yeah. the report until until May because she kept expecting Shalonda to come back home because Shalonda didn't leave the children like that. You know, she she'd call, make sure she talked to them. Um, it just was totally out of character for her. Now on but, the 12th, But that day
0: that they did did have a conversation. She brought the children, and ultimately they are
1: all staying with the grandmother. They're all with Grandmama. They're doing really well. Uh yeah. They would love to know how their where their mom is and how she's doing, which is why I, I brought her case with me today, is because because of the children. Uh, they they worry about their mom. They're concerned as to what's happened to her. It's been quite a while now, uh, and they they would like they would like some answers. And her mother would certainly love some answers. But uh, grandmama has stepped up and taken care of the children and making sure they get to school and do what they need to do. But Shalonda's mom was not willing to let the boyfriend move in. Shalonda didn't like it, and Shalonda left. Um, on Was on April
0: Is he, he a person of interest or anything or ruled out? No. Not here? right
1: now. Not at all. No, he is not. Okay.
0: And um what what were her kind of um daily routine or habits or whatnot that the victimology that you tried to trace?
1: What 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 is might it,
0: what do you theorize might have happened to her?
1: She did not have a job as such. She got money where she could. She, I'm trying to think of how to put this, but she she lived off the grid. That's the easiest way I can put it, is she lived off the grid. She would use other people's cell phones. She would use other people's computers. Uh, she had no cell phone of her own, didn't want one, uh, just stayed completely off the grid as far as any technology is concerned. Uh, And she would definitely use other people's cell phones to make phone calls. She called her sister on April the 12th, 2012, to ask her about a friend of theirs. And the sister asked her, well, are you going to come to mom's tonight? And she said, well, I think I am. And that's the last time the sister had heard from her. So we've got her from April the 8th of walking out of her mom's home to talking to her sister on the 12th. And after April twelfth, no one has seen or heard from her. Do you and think this wow. is a
2: possibility of a case where she does not want to be found? Is she would would that even factor into this case?
1: If if not for everyone that I have interviewed, their commentary about her relationship with her children. I would say yes, because I had a case like that last year where the lady had been missing for over four years. She has two children. They live out of state and found her in the upstate of South Carolina after four years, but she had lived off the grid and just, you know, it was difficult to to actually finally catch up with her. So, you know, if not for everyone's just absolute, Commentary that there's no way she would leave these children. Then you know, no matter no matter what, whether no matter what was involved, she would not walk away from the children like this.
0: Now, am I right? She was um, 37 if she was born in 81, and and um, she and uh, what were the ages of her children or
1: the span? Oh. Little toddlers up there? The the oldest child is now 14, and this was six years ago, so she would have been eight. Mm -hmm. So probably the youngest was maybe two. Okay. Okay. And um,
0: with regard, what
1: was other than not wanting to have
0: a, a boyfriend stay at grandma's house just because it causes issues? was there a particular reason why her mom turned her down and the argument ensued? I mean, did this guy have a history of drugs, or was there some particular reason why the grandma denied it and it caused an argument?
1: She has not said. Uh, The apartment that they had at the time, I think, was rather small. Uh, And you've got her, her husband, four children and Shalonda, so I don't know that there would have been the appropriate wow. room for him. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't know with him not having a job and running out of money, if that might have played into it as well. I, I don't know. She has not specified why she didn't want him there. Mhm. Um And I, and I hesitate there, to speculate. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm, I'm just trying to... Um, you know, do some divergent thinking here. Muscular mm-hmm. hangouts that, that, you know, haunts that she had, or places in the area, locations where she she would have been seen a lot, and I'm sure that you checked all those out. But just to mention for purposes of the audience, if they're familiar yeah. with
1: the area. On, in Columbia, North Main Street or Highway 21, for those older of us are going to know it is Highway 21. Uh, the Cornette yeah. Motel was where she and her boyfriend were last staying. And we put flyers out there. I have gotten no response. She would visit friends in the area not far from, from the Cornette Motel, maybe two miles away, called Hollywood Hills. And the other area is just right in that um, community off of North Main Street. She also would frequent a truck stop called the Flying J off of Highway 321 in Columbia. So those those are the places, and, and this is part of the problem, is that Shalonda got around a lot. She had a, a lot of friends, and the friends aren't, you know, they don't really know what has happened to her. They aren't able to give any details of, of anything of having seen her uh since the middle of April. Uh, Well,
0: can you expect, I don't know if this is speculation, but you suspect human trafficking, um, uh, uh, possible prostitution for her to kind of get her day-to-day monies, or was that an element of her life?
1: Prostitution is a possibility. Uh, Sex trafficking, with the increase in it that we have seen here in the Columbia area, uh, this was in 2012, so it certainly, if she had run into someone at the Flying J, that that it it could have happened. I can't rule it out. Uh, I just don't have any evidence to to follow through on on that line of of thought. But you know, as I said, with with sex trafficking the way it is now, it's it's certainly a possibility. Uh, it would have to have been something where she would not have been able to get in touch with her children. Uh, at at mm-hmm. this point, I'm I'm leaning more toward foul play, to be to be Are frank you? with you, uh, okay. because okay. and and I say that only because of the commentary about the children is that there's you know she would not have just willingly walked away from them. Right. Very very
0: interesting. Um, is there anything else that you can think of to add to this? verbal description to relate to our audience, that, that might be helpful. Uh, and we also want to give your contact information if anyone has. Uh, is your contact information always the same on every person here? Um, just getting in touch with your uh, office phone
1: there? With the Sheriff's Department, the you can call the main number, the 803-576-3000, and you can ask for the cold case unit. Um, yeah. You could ask specifically for me. That that's fine as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, you, these cases that we're talking about, you personally have um, been keeping in touch and interacting with the families,
1: correct? Ever since with, um, these with these, yes. Um, incidents occurred. Yes, with Shalanda's, with, I have. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Let's try another one. Um, How about Johnny Johnson here? This one's kind of intriguing when I read it. Tell us about that one.
2: Are you there? Denise's Dottie's call has dropped. We're going to wait a few Uh minutes for her to call back in hopefully um hopefully she will know yeah. to do that <laughs> this, this is <laughs> this is the, the beauty of live radio <laughs> we yeah. we run across these things quite often, little glitches here and there, but hopefully this one will be resolved when right. um well, she has an opportunity to call back in why
0: don't i why don't I um read from the poster, lila? Um, Johnny uh okay. Johnny Johnson. Um um African American male age 36, 174 pounds, black hair right. brown eyes. Uh-huh. Um, scars and, and tattoos, J A
1: I on left forearm. Hi
2: Dottie. Um, had the, oh you're here? Mm-hmm. I'm here. Dotty's We lost you we
1: lost you momentarily. Yeah, we did.
0: I just started reading the poster while we were waiting for you. <laughs> That's okay.
1: That's so with, fine. That's fine. You're, you're on a roll. Keep going.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, not that I know too much more than what's on the poster. Okay, so I had mentioned his uh, demographic information, you know, age, mm-hmm. six, you know, uh, brown hairs, brown eyes. Right. Two. Um Scars are tattoos, J-A-I, on left forearm. He has right. the rank of a sergeant, first class, on the right forearm. He was U.S. Army drill sergeant badge on his right calf. So in the course of being a, a, a drill sergeant, um, he he made a tattoo of that on his right calf. Is that right, Dottie?
1: That's what we were told, yes.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. Um, do you I know, have not like this, seen any photographs story? of it, so. Oh, okay. It, if you, hypothetically, if you had that, would you put that picture beside his face to say, you know, if I, an no, idea if to I had,
1: open. I would not put it by his face, no. If I had pictures of the tattoos, I would have added them to the flyer. They would be at the bottom with the flyer.
0: Oh, where it says additional photo, oh, Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but because it sounds like it would be very unique. Okay, so you had yeah. missed as of December seventh, two 2015, mm-hmm. right? Right. And it said um, in Columbia, South Carolina area, um, currently, say, and we, we always say this in the present tense because you don't know if he's here, there, or anywhere, right? We're not assuming past tense. Yeah. No, right now, no.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Currently, I mean, we're still looking for him. So, right. I mean, there's, right. Well, there's no suspicion at this to... point of foul play. It's just when I tell you the details, you'll you'll understand.
0: Okay. Well, we can use that term you just used, off the grid, right? Off the grid.
1: Very much Maybe. so. E- even okay. more so than Shalonda Hart.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, I'll just finish reading this little narrative, and you can fill us in.
1: Okay,
0: he is currently stationed at Fort Jackson, but is not reported for duty. His family and friends have not heard from him. Johnny Johnson left his vehicles, plural, at his residence, so his means of travel and direction of travel are unknown. Ooh, that's interesting. So, so listen, Daddy.
1: Well, what had transpired... um on December 8th, he should have reported to work at Fort Jackson. He didn't show up. Uh, he wasn't responding to calls from friends. So the lady who reported him, who she she feels very close to him, kind of calls herself his godmother. Uh, yeah. And she and, and some of his friends went over to his home. He had left the door unlocked. His truck was in the yard. His motorcycle was there, his keys were inside the house, his wallet was there, his computers were there, his phones were there, and he was gone. Ooh. It just very, very odd and almost eerie in some ways to think that that you know, you're gonna just completely walk away and leave everything of value there. Uh, no one that was there at the scene could identify any clothing that was missing. Uh, they weren't absolutely certain that maybe he didn't take clothing with him, but they weren't able to, to actually find anything that, that they could say, you know, this this pair of blue jeans are, are gone, or whatever. And he also had um, a go bag, which a lot of times the military uh, will have, where you've got maybe a change of, of clothes, your your shaving utensils, toothbrush, toothpaste, that sort of thing. So if there's an emergency, you just pick it up and literally you go. They oh. looked for that and found his go bag at the house as well. He had not taken that. Hmm. So it's just a rather odd set of circumstances that a young man with, you know, his, his rank in the military and all that all of a sudden decides to walk away. Yeah, you wonder, um what I
0: mean, what, was he like um in combat, would he might would he have been under particular stress or anxiety, have mental health issues perhaps?
1: Now that is not clear. I know he had served at least one tour overseas, I believe Afghanistan I have to go back to my mm-hmm. case notes to look, but I believe it was one tour overseas. Yeah, but um, he, you know he, they, you know, we've not found any any records to indicate that there was any kind of mental health issue. So he was stable.
0: Now, am I using the proper term? that he considered AWOL? Or
1: yeah,
0: uh, AWOL from the, away without right? leave, absent without, without leave. leave. Mm-hmm. And is that like a prosecutable aspect with the? I mean, is, is that how it's handled if this happens within the military and you work together with them with their process?
1: Yeah, I do. We've I've had several meetings with our uh, criminal investigative division at Fort Jackson to go over all the particulars about what has gone on with with Sergeant Johnson and what may happen, but. They are looking at him as he is left without permission. It is tantamount to desertion, and he will, you know, they they will do whatever it is that they need to do when he returns. If you recall, some months ago there was a gentleman that had gone AWOL thirty-five years ago, and they didn't find him until he applied for a passport. Uh huh. Oh. <laughs> and so I'm I'm not sure what has happened to him, but he applied for a passport and it was picked up and and he was picked up. Uh, but as okay. I, said, I don't know what transpired and I don't really know what the military process would be. Right. But I know so, that they're thinking, they're concerned as we are concerned uh, of just walking away.
0: I mean, is would somebody in the military and someone that has been you know in combat or whatever is this? A someone that's missing, is this a typical scenario, you know, quite often because they just can't take life as it is and they they forsake everything, or is this a
1: real anomaly in your opinion? The, from what I have seen, the cases that I've worked here, this is more the rarity. Usually, folks, if they have a vehicle, they take their car, they take their phone, they take their laptop. They take clothes. They don't usually just walk away from everything. Uh, I don't think I've had another case where I've, where the keys to the home and the vehicle have been found.
0: Wow. Uh, well, were there other family or relationships or with what avenues have you pursued outside of you know the military realm?
1: His family has not heard from him. his girlfriend that he had here at the time three years ago has not heard anything from him. I don't believe his friends have heard anything. I've got more interviews to do, which is why I was hoping that um, with getting this information out it might spur people to call that haven't thought about him in a while that to know that yes he's still missing because even when I went to talk to neighbors they were they were astounded that he had not been Located that he hadn't come back, yeah, so you know, just to let folks know that yes, he is still gone, we would still like to resolve this. We would like to to let the the folks that care about him know that he's okay
0: and and just as a point of reference for any of these three cases, and we'll get into the the next one in a
1: minute or so um are there any rewards associated with these cases? Um, no, no. There's, there's not with the missing person. Now with the unresolved homicide, there may be something through Crime Stoppers, but the sheriff's office is not offering any reward. It, it would have to come through Crime Stoppers. Okay. Or,
0: or if a particular family had the means and wanted to offer it up or something
1: like that. I'm not sure how they handled that here with family rewards. I know at Sled Mm -hmm. there was a specific procedure that had to be followed uh, as far as to establishing the bank that was going to handle the money, who was going to be responsible and signing on the account. Um, Right. You know, the the law enforcement agency would not take responsibility for the money. That would be up to Mm -hmm. whomever the family designated.
2: So yeah, I see. Um, it it hmm. would
1: be better to go through through Crime Stoppers if if someone is interested in a reward. Okay, so
0: that is an option if people have information and they want to pursue you there.
1: Yes, I mean they can certainly call Crime Stoppers. It's one eight 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 Crime SC, uh, and and the rewards are usually up to a thousand dollars, and you can certainly be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um,
0: Whatever it takes, if that's what motivates people, we need information, right?
1: It Uh, does. And and motivators are different for everybody. So we will be grateful for any input that we can get and appreciate your time, Donna. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, well, it's my pleasure, our pleasure, and and we can do more if you choose to in the future. I was going to say that at the end. Okay. Uh, Let's let's go on to. Celine,
1: is it, do you pronounce it um, Eddie or Edie? Edie, Celine Edie. Yeah,
0: and I tried can, to look up her case, and I couldn't find too much on the Internet.
1: <laughs> no, no, there's, you, you can probably find the obituary and the news articles, things like that, but if you can picture, just as she's described, tall, uh, beautiful 15-year-old young girl in high school, um just your your typical 15 year old uh, as some folks described her that she really was maybe trying to be a little older than her years perhaps uh, and, and i'm mm-hmm. taking that out of the news articles that came out but yeah. she um she left her home around 5:30 on a thursday afternoon or at 7:30 excuse me around 7:30 on a thursday afternoon we don't have an exact timeline for where she was that Thursday night or all day Friday. But sometimes. And how many years ago was this, um, Daddy? Celine disappeared April of 2004. April the okay. 4th, I believe. And uh, that was the runaway report because she had run away from home several times. Uh, but she the she was actually missing. I want to say April the 15th on that Thursday is when she Mm -hmm. left her home. And I don't know that her mom knew where she was headed because she would go out and walk around in the neighborhood and visit with neighbors and talk to other kids. So I don't know that that her mom had any idea that she was not going to return. I'm sure she didn't. Uh, But, that you know, she didn't. There was no indicator that she was going to be leaving or going anywhere with friends. And so when she left okay. on the on at 7:30 that night, as I said, we don't have a a timeline. We don't know what happened from 7:30 that night until around 10 minutes after 5 a.m. on the following Saturday morning. So we're looking at roughly a 34-35 hour time window there. But around five ten. What's this
0: location, 10 Christian
1: and Montgomery Road? Is that an intersection near her home or something? It's a little ways from her home. It's in the same area. It's in the lower Richland Hopkins area of Richland County. Okay. And she... um, We had a call that came into our fire department around 10 minutes after 5 on that Saturday morning on the 17th. And the fire department gets there, and they've got, like, you know, just a, a small brush fire about 40 feet in diameter. And as they're putting out the brush fire, they realize that there's a body in the middle of it. And Blaine uh, was eventually identified from her dental records. But uh, when they examined everything, it appeared that she had been beaten and then set on fire.
0: How horrible! Yeah,
1: and that's Wait. that's something that that's almost unthinkable. Especially when you're talking about a fifteen-year-old. I mean, we're talking about you know a child. Uh, I know that right. I know that fifteen, sixteen-year-olds want to be grown. I, I understand all that, but. When you're looking at it but, from the parent's perspective, they're still a child, well, and it's, it's hard to, to grasp. That? Do what, Dawn?
0: Is it is it like rage behavior? Is it who typically would set somebody on fire? What what criminal element is there? Anything that that tells you?
1: I have not asked a behavioral our behavioral scientist here to look at this. So I couldn't really give you an explanation as to the personality type that we might be looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, But given from what the interviews all were with Celine, she tended to like to go out with folks that were older than she was. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just hard to say what these older folks would be thinking and what their motivators were and what level of anger brought them to that point of a beating and then a setting on fire. It's it's one of the few that yeah. I have seen. Was there any sexual assault or anything of that nature that they could tell? That was not evident. Uh-huh. To me, it, it just sounds so... Um
0: so heinous and the fact that maybe she saw or heard something that you know she should not have and they were so um you know so inclined to think that we we really need to make sure that this this girl goes away i mean what could be so bad that you would kill somebody like that i mean as a as a seasoned investigator do you have any
1: theory It could be any number of things from, as you said, something that she saw that she shouldn't have. And because she is a child, um, it may be that whomever did not trust her enough to think that she would be quiet about whatever it was that happened. And that was definitely, one, a way to silence, and two, to send a message to anybody else. But as I said, we, we haven't been able to narrow down a suspect yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I, we're still, even after some years now, we're still digging into it and we're still looking mm-hmm. for it. And that's the interesting thing with cold case homicides in particular is that you know folks that wouldn't talk to you the day of an incident or the year of an incident, five years later, ten years later, they're more than happy to talk to you because they're not as afraid or concerned anymore. You know, perhaps the person yeah. that was keeping them from talking, they're no longer afraid of. So and you just we, have to wait yeah. And um, that,
0: said,
1: that helps. That helps. You you know, as hard as it is on the families to have to wait that kind of time, I've found that it is helpful for us in the investigative aspect because people are a little more willing to talk. You know, they've had time to think about it, um, Oftentimes they may have had children or had relatives that have had things happen to them, and they start thinking about it from a personal perspective, that, you know, now this is happening to me personally. It's not just my neighbor. It's not just somebody, you know, in the community. You know, it's happening to me, and and maybe yeah, it's time that I say something about what I heard or what I saw. And I always try to encourage, and I would encourage your listeners that even if they think that it is something totally insignificant make the phone call anyway and let law enforcement know what what is concerning them and let us discern the the level of importance to give to it it may be that little piece that we were missing that ties two people together that you know we've got you know Joe Jones over here and John Smith over here but we've got no way to tie them together And that one little piece of information may actually be the piece that says, oh, well, we saw them, you know, they take the same bus to work every day. Uh, You know, just learn something that that helps to to piece it all together. So don't ever, you know, for your audience, don't ever discount uh, what you may have heard or what you may have seen. Don't minimalize it. Uh, What you know may be very important and, and keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because anything anything could be helpful in the right context. And so, just a quick question about that: you had said she had run away several times. Uh, did she have kind of a crowd that she hung out with as a fish? Oh no, she hung out with older people, right?
1: Well, that that was her. From what I have read in the in the case file, that seemed to be what you know the the guys that she would go out with would tend to be a little older. Yeah, um, But, you know, she was a high school student, went to Drear High School, uh, was, I think, involved in ROTC and
0: mm-hmm. just,
1: you know, just a teenager, a young kid, yeah. beautiful, big, bright smile, um, had the whole world to look forward to. Very mysterious. Well,
0: I think these three cases are very emblematic of, the challenges that you have—they all are very important. And you know, as we kind of wind down the show with about a minute left, I just want to say um, I'm so glad to have had this opportunity, Daddy. And I hope you'll stay in touch with us, so maybe we can do something in the in the future. But um, also, um, any last message or contact information before we close out?
1: Uh, the contact information, Richland County Sheriff's Department, area code 803-576-3000. Uh, my name's Dottie Cronice. Uh, they can ask for Dottie because Cronice is not particularly easy. I'm the only Dottie right. here, so that <laughs> that helps matters. Uh, oh, okay. Well, but, you know, they can call. Uh, certainly they're welcome to leave a message. And I'll be glad to call them back. I respect people's privacy. If they ask me to keep something anonymous, I will do it as best I can. But I can't compromise the integrity of the case to do that. So just keep that in mind, too. Okay. Well, very good. We look forward to um, hearing from your viewers. And we, we greatly appreciate this time you've afforded us.
0: Okay, well, be sure to take the link and to share it around, Dottie, wherever you would like with regard to social media or in law enforcement or whatever. So That's why we do this, so you can share it. So, again, right. thank you so much. Please do keep in touch with us. And, uh, um, Delilah, I, I think this has been a very interesting show, don't you?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm happy that we're able to get this information out to as many people as we can.
1: And Delilah, thank hey. you too, dear.
2: Well, thank you, yeah. De- Dottie. I keep wanting to yes. call you Denise.
1: <laughs> that's okay. <laughs>
0: we know another Dottie that's a, a crisis <laughs> an advocate, so.
2: uh, okay. and human
0: trafficking.
2: But yeah. anyway, well, thank you so, so much.
0: With, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So most with welcome. that, we're going we're going to close out another edition of Shattered Lives Radio until the next edition. Thank you again, Daddy. Thank you, yes. Richmond County and Columbia. We'll see you when I get back to Connecticut. Thank you, goodbye, Mom. bye